Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of the Venture Games Podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, a venture partner at Griffin Gaming Partners, one of the leading gaming-focused VC firms, and content acquisition lead at Andreessen Back Carry First, the leading African mobile games publisher. Today, I'm excited to introduce my next guest, Austin Woolridge, co-founder and CEO at Players Lounge. Players Lounge is one of the leading skill-based gaming platforms, which has facilitated over $100 million in bets and has paid out millions of dollars to its players since it was founded. What's going on, Austin? What's up, Chris? Thank you for having me. Uh, big fan. One quick correction there. We've actually sure. done $200 million. <laughs> It was like $5 mil or $10 mil difference. I want to say yeah. anything, but $200 million. I, I love it. I love it. Don't don't want to sell you guys short. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, just to kick things off for those out there who don't know you guys or don't know you rather, can you just walk through your background and the path that you took to get to where you are today? Yeah, I have always been kind of like a entrepreneurial type person. I've always gravitated towards like, you know, wanting to be my own boss and like making money via things that I love to do. You know, I started my eBay account when I was 10 years old mm -hmm. in 1999. I still have the same username and everything. But the reason why I did that was to sell like old video games that I had in order to like afford to buy new ones. My parents wouldn't like drop hundreds of thousands of dollars on games every month, but I would like, you know, churn through them and I wanted the, new, the next one, the next hot thing. So mm -hmm. I actually figured out how to sell them on eBay set up a PayPal account, get the money. It was like the wild, wild west of eBay too. But um, I want to like share that because, you know, I've been doing stuff like this as a kid and and now it's evolved to, you know, a big venture backed, you know, multi-million dollar uh, business around doing something that I love, which is playing video games and putting some stakes on it because I think I'm better than, uh, you know, all my friends and I want to prove it. So uh, in college, actually my co-founder, Zach Dixon, and I met because we played soccer together at, at Wesleyan University. And we kind of started spitballing this idea back then, but we were like too busy with soccer and school and stuff like that. And so when we graduated, you know, a few years after we graduated, we, we reconnected and basically brought this idea back up through the concept of hosting video game tournaments at bars in, in Brooklyn where we lived. And that's how it all got started. And it's evolved to what it is today. Awesome. So one part that I know you didn't touch on is you actually come from a music background. I don't know how well known that is, but what were you actually doing when you were in the music industry and why did you decide to transition to gaming? And then was there anything that you learned on the music side of things that helped you out in your, in your gaming life today? So I started producing music in high school when I was just messing around and like, like Kazaa, I just discovered this program called FL Studio. Back then it's called Fruity Loops. So I just started like making beats because I was like, you know, really into tech and I love music. I love like rap music. And so, you know, I started producing and, you know, got some placements like late in high school and then in college, like really, it really started to pick up. You know, I did stuff for, for Kid Inc. And, you know, shortly after college, like got some placements with French Montana and Fabulous and, and Pusha T. So again, it's kind of like me figuring out ways to make money doing something I really enjoyed to do, like part of my, like my, something that I feel very passionate about. But all the while I was actually, my first job out of college was at a digital agency in New York and the agency was focused on iPhone apps. And this was like when the app store was first released. So it was kind of like the gold rush and so I was seeing like all kinds of amazing ideas brought to our agency to, to, for us to build for them. And I got a real like pulse of like the New York City startup scene, mm -hmm. tech scene, which I think was called like Silicon Alley back then. Mm -hmm. So all the while I'm doing like music and then, you know, music starts to pick up. I, I quit and start doing music full time. And it took me about like a year and a half. Like I did get some good placements and stuff like that, but just like the money wasn't excited. It wasn't, it was just like too, too many like middle people, like cutting mm -hmm. little slices of your, uh, you know, your royalties and like it all trickles down. So like you're at like the bottom as a producer <laughs> almost. And just like the whole like 
setup of it like wasn't really once I got like in the weeds of it I'm like look I'm trying to make a lot more money mm-hmm. I'm still trying to do something I love to make money but like mm-hmm. you know music it's 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 tough I probably did like more than I don't know like 99% of people but even then like if you don't have that like number one smash single yeah. or you're like with an artist that's like extreme like blowing up crazy it's like really hard to make enough money to like you know make it worth your while mm-hmm. but like what did I learn you know I think that was a huge thing that I learned just like understanding what's what my time is worth and where I would want to invest it but I did make a lot of contacts in the music industry that you know not only backed me as a musician but just mm-hmm. like backed me as like a person you know it is more than just making beats most mm-hmm. of the time so just what I was able to bring to the table outside making music like I think was appreciated and then that's kind of led to some of my like friends and connections in music to you know invest in players lounge or connect me with someone who might be interested in mm-hmm. players lounge like you know if it wasn't for my previous music endeavors drake would never have been introduced to me and, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't have invested in players lounge but the transition was pretty simple it wasn't like a snap my fingers i'm putting putting down music but i'm like hey like let me try something that also checks the boxes of like, okay, this is something that I would love to do, something I'm passionate about, something that I would invest like my all into. And Players Lounge checked all those boxes. So when we first started, I was kind of juggling both music and Players Lounge. But then over time, it was very clear that like the ROI of my time was much better placed into Players Lounge. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned, you know, Drake obviously is an investor. I'm sure everyone out there knows who Drake is. And I'm sure a lot of people know you know, a guy like Drake is not easy to get in touch with. Additionally, you know, you have really impressive individual investors like Strauss Zelnick, CEO at Take-Two, as well as uh, other impressive folks. So what was that journey like for you to get some folks like that on board? And just just walk through your, your sort of fundraising journey in general. So when we first started Players Lounge, we were hosting FIFA tournaments at bars in New York City. Mm-hmm. That was like the in- inception of it all. And it was cool, but, you know, it was just, it required a lot of like buying depreciating assets. You know, the, the margins aren't that great for like an events business and mm-hmm. like, you know, just tournament organizing and stuff like that. So we decided to pivot. And when it was time to pivot into like a tech company, we needed to raise some money. And back then it was, this was in like 2015. It was mm-hmm. pretty difficult to raise on this idea, mm-hmm. which might sound a little crazy now, <laughs> just given like how you know, competitive and, and, you know, exciting overall, like the general landscape of, of mm-hmm. skill-based products are, but to start, Zach and I were just able to raise from friends and family. And we were literally like raising like three to five K checks, like mm-hmm. a couple of times a month just to pay our rent. So we can <laughs> do it full time. So we had a, a lot of safes early on, a lot of safes. Mm-hmm. Then we were able to get connected to Strauss Zelnick. He went to uh, our alma mater, Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. And also side note, we actually, Strauss and I grew up in the same town um, and we went to the same elementary school, we went to the <laughs> same middle school, the same high school, <laughs> and we went to Wesleyan, which is like just insane. Yeah. So we had some friends who had a startup that was like a little bit ahead of ours, who uh, knew Strauss mm-hmm. and was like, hey, Strauss has this workout class that, you know, it's, it's private, but like if you know someone and you, especially if you went to Wesleyan, like, you know. Make, make room for you. Zach will tell you, like, I don't love working out. Mm-hmm. I love playing soccer. Like I play soccer like four times a week still, but I'm not the one to like wake up at 6 a.m. just to do like a workout. This just yeah. seems like unnecessary to me. <laughs> uh, like I'll do the workout at like four, but like, <laughs> anyway, so I'm like, I'm not down for that. But Zach was like, all right, like roll up his sleeves, like I'm doing it. And so Zach was going to this like workout at 6 a.m. with Strauss mm-hmm. for like three months. Mm-hmm. And like maybe the first month just introduced himself. Second month was like, hey, I went to Wesleyan too. And then the third month was like, oh, like another Wesleyan classmate of mine. We have a video game startup. Like, would love to tell you about it. So definitely shout out to Zach for like <laughs> doing uh, you know, dozens of workout classes. For for quick context for those who like don't know Strauss's sort of, you know, <laughs> his his reputation for working out. This man is not like this, these aren't like your regular workouts. Like Strauss <laughs> really, really takes this stuff seriously. Oh yeah, I've done so. I've done a few mm-hmm. now, 
but yes, I can definitely corroborate <laughs> that. Like it's, it's, I played soccer in college for soccer my whole yeah. life. I've done some crazy intense workouts and like mm-hmm. Strauss stuff is like on a different level. <laughs> so yeah, we end up getting a meeting. The meeting obviously is a workout, but <laughs> at this time it's at like 6 PM instead of 6 AM. Nice. So I, I can, I can do it. It crushes me for sure. <laughs> but he's like, look, like, I think you guys have a great concept of, you know, connecting sports video game players who want mm-hmm. to wager against each other for money. And you've kind of proven it out in like this, you know, analog sense, but obviously the scalability comes in the digital side, Mm -hmm. the margins come on the digital side. And you know, part of the pitch was like, like, look, we built this thing with our own bare hands and our own assets, but like Mm -hmm. the assets are already out in in the world. Mm -hmm. Like everyone has their console already. Everyone's paying for their internet. They got their TV, they're in their, their own home. And so we need to build a product that just takes advantage of that in the same way that Airbnb Uber, like they don't own any property. They don't own any cars, stuff like that. They're like utilizing the assets that are already laid out in the world to build a business around. And so that was kind of our rationale to pivot. And he, I think he really appreciated that. And, you know, he invested, he was our first major angel investor. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that, maybe like nine months after that, we got our first big, big check from Sam Shetrit, who I got connected with through through uh, my old music manager, who subsequently introduced me to Drake later down the line. But to get to that point, and then like you know a couple hundred after that was really really difficult, like mm-hmm. extremely difficult. And so we we got into Y Combinator with like you know around 200 or so 250k raise. That was like blood, sweat, and tears to mm-hmm. get to that point. But then once we got into Y Combinator and we like you know, I honestly like crushed it during that three month window fundraising and got a little bit easier. And you mentioned Marissa Meyer. She was literally the person in the front row. The first person I saw when I got on the demo day stage at YC. So it was nice to know that the pitch resonated with her shortly after. It's awesome. You know, going back to the origin, because, you know, I think the brick, obviously the, the bricks and mortar origin of Players Lounge, frankly, isn't that scalable. So the pivot makes sense, right? But it's a model that is like so, so relatable to people, right? Like pretty much everyone who is a gamer, unless you're like, you know, the most casual gamer, you know, everyone has a story of like, you know, you you and your small group of friends, you think you're the best at like FIFA or like 2K or whatever. And then ultimately, you know, people start talking smack and then someone's like, all right, like put down some money. Yeah, I remember even when I was in high school, like I had a group of friends that we all played FIFA together. We all thought we were the best. We used to host these like small tournaments for like, you know, $20 buy-in, you know, just with like other kids on the soccer team. And one of my friends actually, <laughs> we were, we had this like small tournament of like the four best supposedly uh, FIFA players in our class. And my one friend won and he printed out a contract that said like, based on the results of this tournament today like i am the best FIFA player and he like wanted us to sign it so, so like obviously you know people take this stuff extremely seriously right one of the big appeals to this business model right is allowing all of these people who make up the vast majority of gamers who think they're good wants to compete want to play for money but like either don't have the time or don't have the skill to play at the highest level. And so how do you think about just like the size of this opportunity? And why is it so important to you to unlock these opportunities for folks to, to make money or just like, you know, talk, talk some smack and, uh, and play at a more competitive level? Yeah, I mean, you hit the, the nail uh, right on the head. Like everyone who grew up playing like video games, especially sports video games, like had this like group, these, these clusters of like mm-hmm. friends who you play with and you want to be the best mm-hmm. There's always trash talking. You're always as good as the last game you played against mm-hmm. your friend. And you got those bragging rights for, you know, until the next time you play <laughs> like Zach and I, when we were doing, um, you know, the, the, the initial event part of the business, like when we would play each other, we would keep a running list for like every iteration of FIFA, mm-hmm. we'd literally keep track of every win and loss we had against <laughs> each other. And when the next iteration came out, we would look at who won the most games and yeah. we would have like that crown for that person. Mm-hmm. With Players on Sports, just to kind of clarify right now, yeah. there's Players Lounge, which is betting against the house, which is like our new product, which mm-hmm. I can get into in a bit. The original app that we launched off of the backs of the, the event business uh, was Players Lounge Sports. And that is oriented around connecting sports video game players who want to wager against other people for money. Uh, and Players Lounge facilitates that. Mm-hmm. 
And so we wanted to basically bring all these clusters that we're talking about, your cluster, my group of friends, their group of friends that I got connected with. Like there's there's hundreds of thousands of these like groups, maybe arguably millions, mm -hmm. if you include all these these games, we wanted to bring all of them together into one place. So, you know, when you are accurately deemed the best and your friends don't want to play for money anymore because, you know, like they're not going to want to give you any more money, yeah. where do they go? And so Players Lounge is where they go to find this large community of gamers who are just down to play, you know, games for money. And so it was a very natural transition from what we built from the grassroots level with, with the events business. Sports games are massive. You know, there's three like big ones, the big three. So you know, FIFA, Madden, NBA 2K. And, uh, you know, we built up the platform for them. We talked to our customers, understood what they wanted in a product like this, a digital product. So we were really on the ground level doing customer interviews at these bars and mm -hmm. FIFA tournaments and, and Madden tournaments to understand what would they appreciate, what, what would draw them into a digital version of this. And so to answer your question, like, the addressable market is huge. I believe Players Lounge is a product for any gamer above the age of 18, mm -hmm. but each game type needs to be addressed specifically and with intent mm -hmm. because people want to wager on each game in its own unique way. And so we built a whole product around sports video games because they're 1v1 games. Mm -hmm. They're like kind of siloed adversarial titles like i am playing to be better than you it's like zero sum and that's what we wanted to focus on and as of earlier this year we've launched a product that you know lets people bet on other games like call of duty apex mm -hmm. you know valorant those these team-based non-sports games that you know aren't necessarily this 1v1 game they're more like part of like a broader like concept mm -hmm. of you know battle royale or like arena-based shooter or MOBA or what have you and you know we wanted to deliver what made sense for those games and what was authentic to those games got it and you know i probably should have mentioned this earlier but for full disclosure you know players on is a griffin portfolio company i actually you know sourced and sort of led the deal uh, when it happened so obviously so obviously big fan of you big fan of Players Lounge. But yeah, actually one of the things that like really attracted us to Players Lounge investment back then was this idea of sort of like the bet against the house, right? And this this was quite a while ago, you know, but you've been obviously thinking about this for a while. And so in your mind, why is the opportunity for folks to be able to bet against themselves versus just bet against other players attractive? And how do you think about the size of that opportunity? versus the size of just betting head-to-head? -head. So, look, I love sports games. You know, I grew up playing FIFA, I know, and 2K and Madden. You know, I also love Call of Duty. I've been a Call of Duty player for a long time. But the gaming world is much bigger than sports video games. Mm -hmm. Like, it encompasses many other genres. And as much as I love, like, 1v1 competitive, competitiveness and playing, you know, against my friends, I actually like playing with your friends or with my friends a lot more. It's it's way more fun. Like it's almost it's like a night and day experience when you're doing something collaboratively and winning together. And so, especially with games becoming more social, like we wanted to incorporate these social games in our products. And for years, gamers have been like barraging us with requests to support like Call of Duty, Apex, like you know these huge massive games, Rocket League, Valorant, Counter Strike, all these non-sports team-based games. And you know. We always knew we, we needed to evolve. And when it was time to like build a product around these games, we realized what we had for sports video games was very unique and specific to that. And we need to build something separate for these other games. And so I think the huge difference here is, is like the friction. Mm -hmm. So for players on sports, you know, Chris wants to play a game of Madden for a hundred dollars goes onto our platform, like inputs that request, he's going to find an opponent within your dollar amount. It's also within your skill range. Then you have to like, you know, connect with that person on your console, you know, add them as a friend, play each other, report the score back to the app to have it verified, et cetera. That's a lot of friction. Not only have to do like that work, but you also have to feel comfortable playing. It's like a random person mm -hmm. for money. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, 
clearly millions of people who do that have come across our platform, but there's also like, you know, a billion gamers and there's like, you know, a half a billion playing these super large titles that we're talking about. And, but not every person is willing to go through that sweaty, hardcore mm -hmm. wager experience. You know, we even, te we tested like one-on-one -on -one Call of Duty, which isn't necessarily how you play Call of Duty, mm -hmm. but like we wanted to see if people were willing to do that on this platform and it didn't really take off. Mm -hmm. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, how do, like Call of Duty is exponentially bigger than all these sports games yeah. that we have. How do we build a wagering experience around that game to kill off all that friction and make it a lot more casual and passive for like the average gamer, regardless of their skill level, regardless of how comfortable they feel like, you know, betting against other people to make something that would engage them without having to worry about being too good. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest hurdle here for, for head to head, like peer to peer wagering is that you're kind of a little bit in the back of your mind, like, am I, am I not good enough for this? Cause like mm -hmm. this place is gravitating, like the best, the best gravitates towards our product. We have the best Madden players in the world, yeah. the best 2k players in the world. Like, ah, like, I don't know if I'm good enough. And that's, it's a very like daunting barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. So what we built for players lounge, that's the, what our new app is called. It's just players lounge. And then the sports app is called players on sports mm -hmm. is a platform where you don't have to be a pro level player or even good. Mm -hmm. You receive challenges that are based off of your skill level. Mm -hmm. So instead of having to play other gamers in a head to head capacity, you're just trying to beat your averages in the game of your choice, your favorite game. So let's continue to use call of duty. For example, mm -hmm. Chris, let's say you're i uh, I'm going to assume you're pretty mm -hmm. good. So I'm going to say you have a 2.25 KD in Warzone. Mm -hmm. You sign up for a player's lounge. We understand that. We know how good you are. We, we have your, your history playing that game. And we give you challenges that correlate to your skill level mm -hmm. with corresponding payouts. So let's say you want to try to get two kills in your next game of Warzone. Because mm -hmm. you're averaging 2.25, you know, the odds, you know, it's not going to be even money. Like we're going to give you maybe like minus 200 mm -hmm. odds on that. But if you want to go with four, then, you know, we might give you like two X, a two X mm -hmm. payout there. So you would be betting $10 to get four kills. If you do in your next game of Warzone, you win 20. And what, what the best part about this experience is that you're just playing that game of Warzone as you normally would. Mm -hmm. The game is giving you the proper matchmaking. The, the ELO system or whatever is being used is giving you the proper opponents that fit within your skill range. So you're not going against a huge you know, hundred person lobby of people mm -hmm. who are also wagering. You're just going against regular people and you guys have to beat your averages. The analogy that I really like to use for this is players on sports is like me going to a basketball court and saying, Hey, I'm players lounge. Chris, play this random person that I've observed is like around your skill level mm -hmm. to 21. And you know, you guys both put up a hundred dollars and whoever wins, I'll give 180 after I mm -hmm. take my cut. Whereas with our new app where you bet against the house, I'm like, Chris, I just saw you shoot 15 three pointers. I'm going to give you a challenge to hit, you know, four out of 12. Mm -hmm. And if you do, I'll give you two X, whatever you want to stake. So I think that does a pretty good job of breaking down the two apps and understanding like how much more comfortable people would be in yeah. scenario two than scenario one. And, you know, it also definitely illustrates how big the opportunity is, right? Because like people are just sort of playing against themselves, but I need to ask some follow-ups. So one is a bit on the skeptical side, right? So let's just say, you know, I, I'm a hustler, right? Like I'm, I'm all about my money. So I am like, look, I know the system is watching me and trying to figure out how good I am. We'll just use the basketball example, right? So I know I can hit eight out of 10 free throws, but I'm going to hit two out of 10 so that I get really attractive lines. How does Players Lounge address that? So you cannot use Players Lounge unless you have a certain threshold mm -hmm. of, of, of games played in your history. Mm -hmm. So we already have a baseline of what you honestly are. Mm -hmm. And so, you know... It, it, people do like try to like, okay, let me, let me throw games. Yeah. And like, you know, we do have recency as a part of like mm -hmm. our algorithm to give like 
challenges and, and odds and stuff like that. So that's mm -hmm. certainly a factor. But, you know, if you are clearly like X amount of, you know, places away from like your averages mm -hmm. or like your st the standard deviation is like recently, like when you juxtapose it a, a, a against your averages, that's off, then like we clearly can see that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our model is pretty robust and we don't really let people come in and just like wager a ton of money. Yeah. Like, look, if you want to throw games and like lose like a couple dollars and then you know, win your next like $2 game, then like, <laughs> sure. But, you know, our, our systems that we have in place and our mm -hmm. like anti-cheat, anti-smurf technology coinciding with the inability to like, you know, bet $500 out yeah. the gate really discourages people from like investing in, you know, smurfing tactics. Mm -hmm. And then it, it allows players to basically play as they normally would play but with you know extra extra sort of incentive right so it basically incentivizes people for the grind that they they already would be doing otherwise one could argue that this could potentially you know lead to you know unhealthy sort of habits as far as like how much they're betting and things like that is that something that you have thought about as well yes for sure you know we have responsible gaming checks mm -hmm especially on players on sports, uh, mm -hmm. where there's like, like Madden players, there's a lot of players who play for like a lot of money. So we're monitoring everything, making sure like people don't go too far in the hole, et cetera. And, uh, you know, we, we take requests to like, Hey, like you mind closing my account? We do that mm -hmm. very, very seriously. But most of the time it's not necessarily as applicable as like actual gambling, because mm -hmm. this is a skill-based thing, right? Like, you know, that you're not going to beat this player. So mm -hmm. you're probably going to stop playing that person. And our matchmaking system for players on sports is done in a way that, you know, keeps you in the ballpark of like similar skill. And so you don't really ever feel like overpowered or, or whatnot, whatnot. The bet against the house side, we actually find that most of our users are betting smaller increments and mm -hmm. they associate players lounge with like an extra exciting layer to their mm -hmm. grind versus like, oh, I'm going to bet like $500 okay. to win like a thousand or something like that. But you know, if I, if I lose like three games in a row, I'm going to be like in the hole. We don't even like, that doesn't even happen. We don't even let people mm -hmm. bet more than a hundred dollars at mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. because the type of user for like Call of Duty and Apex and the games that we let people bet against the house with, it's more like, I want this to be an extra layer of fun where I can mm -hmm. get a little bit of like ROI on my gaming time. And it makes the game a lot more exciting versus I'm trying to like, you know, make a living off of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's probably more people who are making a living off of gaming on players on sports than on the new app where you're, where you're betting against the house. So like to sum it all up, the volume doesn't really generate big losses most people are betting like you know five dollars or under you can always bet uh, like five dollars to get one kill and get whatever is appropriate for your skill range mm -hmm. there and you can just do it every single game yeah so there's that option but there's mm -hmm. also like the enticement of like okay if i can do it for five dollars let me do it for twenty dollars yeah. and you know you might lose that one game for twenty dollars like it that you might just like you know run across a good team that out mm -hmm. that is more skilled than you are so at the end of the day, you can always make money and grind it out on Players Lounge, mm -hmm. and you can always decide to put up more as an entry fee. It's up to you. Got it. I want to shift gears a bit and just talk about the market in general. You know, so for for folks out there who are a little bit less familiar with the real money gaming market, so I, I think if you look back a few years from an investment perspective within VC and honestly, within like gaming VC and sports VC, I think real money gaming was getting quite a bit of attention and quite a bit of investment dollars. You know, I think skills would be the most notable example. Obviously in recent months, skills in the public markets, you know, has not performed particularly well. I think if you look at the sort of landscape in general, like in India, a lot of the largest gaming companies are real money gaming companies, right? You have your, your Windows, your MPLs out there. In the U.S., I think recently, there's been more competition, and I think there's been a little bit more concern. So how do you view the market today, just in general? And why are you still optimistic about the opportunity? That's a really good question. So when we first started Players Lounge, it was like a year or so before PAPSA was repealed. So that basically let any state decide whether or not they wanted to offer 
gambling and more specifically like sports betting. And so that never really affected us because we are a game of skill mm -hmm. and online games of skill with a real money component to it have been legal since the unlawful internet gambling act of like 2016. And shortly after that, FanDuel and DraftKings blew up. They basically paved the way for businesses like mine to not have to like lobby and do mm -hmm. all this stuff. And it's almost objective to say that, you know, players lounge is more of a game of skill than, than like daily fantasy. Cause mm -hmm. like, you know, the best Madden player in the world is going to beat me literally for like years straight until <laughs> I like really invest <laughs> in myself to be a good Madden player. All these regulatory things happening on the yeah. side, like never really affected us. We were already, already established, mm -hmm. but given that like kind of the doors have been blown wide open, there's so many different full gambling companies, mm -hmm. skill-based real money companies, the whole gambit popping up again, we're in another like gold rush because mm -hmm. America is the biggest betting market and it never even had gambling legalized. So mm -hmm. now it's like, okay, we, everyone needs to come to the U S and uh, establish themselves and put their flag in the ground. Mm -hmm. So I think in general, there's going to be like some regulatory shifts. Like there'll be companies that are really buttoned up mm -hmm. and there are companies that, you know, won't be, and then, you know, things will get cracked down on, but, you know, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do, like for players lounge, we have, you know, age gating out the gate, you need to supply your ID and, you know, that ID gets verified. You need to be in a state where skill-based wagering is allowed and we have geofencing and, and all that to make sure that we're compliant there. We have anti-money laundering policies that get refreshed every mm -hmm. six months. So we're very, very, very buttoned up, but not everybody is. And so I think with this new wave of companies, you know, we're going to see like more strict oversight from like the payment processors. So in general, like the real money gaming space competitively is growing extremely quickly especially in our space, in our vertical mm -hmm. specifically, you know, we have a competitor Slack channel and every month or so someone on, on my team finds like a new startup trying to do exactly <laughs> what we do. So we're keeping tabs on it all, but across the board, there's a lot of innovation happening across all types of real mm -hmm. money gaming, all types of businesses, gambling and skill-based. So I'm very optimistic because innovation is great. There's mm -hmm. a lot to learn from each other. You know, there's a little cohort of real money gaming startups that like I try to stay in touch with on a regular mm -hmm. basis, see what they're doing, see what they're seeing, learn from each other. Cause you know, a rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. If we're all winning, if we're all doing well, then it's beneficial for, for everybody. The more success, the more validation there is and the more investment money that goes into it and, and all that. So I'm very, very optimistic. I think the landscape is ripe, like the soil is ripe for some really strong roots. And I view Players Lounge as like one of the early, you know, stable companies in the space focusing on, on video games and esports. Got it. And, you know, the gaming industry in general, obviously the industry has gotten so large now from like a dollar size perspective. And this area has mostly, you know, to your point, been taken on by startups. Why do you think, and you know, maybe this is speculation, maybe you know something, but why do you think the traditional gaming companies haven't actually done this themselves and just integrated like some real money gaming functionality into their games themselves? I think like the publishers, you know, they kind of want to stay away from this, at least for now. Mm -hmm. They've already gotten cracked down for like loot boxes yeah. and like gambling-esque mechanics in mm -hmm. their games. So like to go... Okay, by the way, we just got like, you know, the Netherlands are, is suing us, forcing us to take out loot boxes out of our games. Like, let's just go ahead and add, uh, you know, skill-based wagering also in their face. I think there needs to be time yeah. before they would feel comfortable. I think like based on what we, we were just saying about like the landscape and the soil and, mm -hmm. and, and like the roots and the foundation of it, I think the roots need to be made by startups before like a bigger company yeah. or a bigger publisher would, would feel comfortable, like, you know, planting their seed in there. So, and then I think we just need to prove that this is like a massive business first. Mm -hmm. I see it as very evident, mm -hmm. but you know, it will take a lot for like, you know, a strategic business person, like at the top of like EA or whatever, to like decide to invest millions and millions yeah. like we have into this concept until someone's like, at least proven it out. When it comes to like the gambling companies, 
again, just full disclosure, Players Lounge is not gambling, but it's just easy <laughs> yeah. to yeah. like, you know, wrap your head around it and, and the space. But like actual gambling companies like FanDuel and DraftKings, mm-hmm. like I think right now they're just too focused on opening up sports betting state by state. Mm-hmm. Like so there's a lot of money in that. Like honestly, probably more money in, in the vertical that we're attacking right now. And so they're just knocking on every regulatory door and like city council door to try to open up betting in those states and like, you know, that this would be like a distraction from that. Mm -hmm. So what I think is going to happen is a company like Players Lounge is going to continue to establish that this is a very big opportunity. And, you know, we prove that people want this thing and publishers will hopefully work with us to uh, expand on our offering and, and make it all around a better better product for all gamers. Yeah, that makes sense. And then one thing you've talked about a lot in the past is just how you know traditional esports for folks who want to get in and compete has a pretty high barrier to entry, right? You, to play at any game at the highest level, you probably need like at least a console, if not, you know, some sort of expensive PC. And thus to play a game at the absolute highest level, they're really high barriers to entry. One of the benefits to Players Lounge is it sort of democratizes the opportunity for folks to to make money gaming. Why is this mission important to you? And how much of a focus is this democratization to you? It's a huge driver for myself and the company. Mm-hmm. You know, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of real money esports opportunities in the professional level require like super expensive gaming rigs where like your refresh rate of your monitor or like the type of mouse you use gives you that like extra millisecond needed to outperform someone else. And like, you know, that's what it takes to get to like the place where you can actually make money gaming Mm -hmm. to be a pro. And so if you look at the pro scene, almost every traditional esport title is like, you know, mostly white and Asian men. Mm -hmm there really isn't like much representation outside of that. You know, you'll see every now and then, but like generally it's like hard to come by. And Mm so, and those barrier entries are real and and due to like socioeconomic constraints, you know, a lot of people and a lot of like minorities can't even acquire the equipment Mm -hmm. to perform at a level where they can potentially be a, a pro. And so with Players Lounge, like, again, you just need a console. There's an opportunity for everyone. If you're a PC gamer, if you're a console gamer, what have you, but you don't need that extra like investment. You know, you just have your console and your controller or your PC and your mouse and keyboard. doesn't need to be crazy. And you can make money mm-hmm. on Players Launch. We have people who have made like hundreds of thousands of dollars over the past like couple of years mm-hmm. just playing Madden or just playing 2K. And like very soon we're going to have people making that same amount of money on games like Apex and Call of Duty. The key thing, it doesn't require you being the best. It requires you to, you know, be better than like a certain cohort or requires you to like grind and beat your averages while you're grinding. But there is an immediate and very real opportunity to make money on Players Lounge, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you've invested in yourself as a gamer. Um, And that's something that's like, I hold really close to my heart. And, you know, I think it's an important like service to to provide. So the landscape for content creation in gaming has evolved, you know, pretty dramatically over the years, right? I'm someone who, you know, I've always been a huge gamer. So like back even before Twitch and like the Justin TV days, you know, I was watching some people play games and the way I always thought it was going to evolve was that the best gamers were going to become sort of the most viewed, most popular streamers. I think in some cases that has happened, but actually in in many cases it hasn't, right? It's been people who are like pretty good, but are entertaining, right? It's somewhat similar to being like, you know, any other type of influencer, but it has sort of opened up this whole space of people who are like pretty good at gaming and want to showcase their skills, but also connect with their audiences. One piece of the fun of these, you know, going back to the origin of Players Lounge, you know, even when you're not playing, it can be really exciting to to watch them compete against each other, you know, getting into all the smack talk and all this other stuff. Have you thought about streaming these competitions on sort of Twitch or some other platform just 
to give the players sort of an additional benefit to be able to like sort of build their audiences while they're also able to compete for money? Uh, yes, absolutely. We do stream our big Madden tournaments. Mm -hmm. I think anyone who plays Madden, I think has heard of players, you know, we're a staple in the, in the competitive Madden community. Mm -hmm. And so we partnered with a lot of streamers, Problem and Dubby, some of the biggest Madden streamers out there to, you know, give a platform to these amazing Madden players mm -hmm. who, you know, have followings and like can show like what they can do in a highly competitive competition. Because again, going back to what we were talking about before, there's only certain slots available for like yeah. people who make the Madden championship series. Mm -hmm. And so that only happens X amount of time, like out of the year, yeah. but with players lounge, it's 24 seven. We have mm -hmm. every single week, we have multiple tournaments where like there's 5k in prizing and like people love watching that. And so as we build out like our, our newer app that lets people bet against the house on those Call of Duty, Apex, et cetera, we are 1000% going to incorporate a similar, you know, concept for those games where, you know, we do kill races and, and stuff like that. And we, we do want to partner with any big streamer who is, you know, willing to, to work with us there because, you know, we really want to tap into like the grassroots of, of Twitch and streaming and. We think there's like a massive mutually beneficial relationship there where like, if you're streaming, cool, you get, say you average, you know, 5k concurrence, mm -hmm. but if you stream with like a competition or a wager on the line, I guarantee you that mm -hmm. you're going to like increase by 50 to hundred percent. And we, there's so much evidence of it, you know, back when Fortnite was popping with their uh, big money games, when let's say a Tfue was streaming normally. Mm -hmm. You would get X amount, but when you're streaming with like, you know, the 10 K Fortnite cup or what competition or whatever it was, his viewership would, would double or triple even. And we can do that without any massive infrastructure needing to be created. Like you, all of a sudden you want to like make your content a little bit more exciting, put a hundred dollar wager on your next mm -hmm. game of apex. And I guarantee you, you're going to get more viewers. You're going to get more followers, et cetera. So we're about like, we're a little ways away from like fully integrating Twitch yeah. into, you know, our newer products, but it's certainly a very, very key component to uh, the future of Players Launch. Got it. Okay. And we've talked a lot about representation on the gaming side, something that I've talked about a lot. I think you've talked about as well, and it's, it's been written about extensively is representation on sort of the startup side, right? And so in the startup ecosystem today, you know, there's tons and tons of information out there, so we don't have to recap, but a very limited amount of VC funding goes to underrepresented founders, right? Whether it's female founders, underrepresented minorities by race, et cetera. You know, you guys have been quite successful. You, you know, you've raised reportedly eight figures in VC funding to date. And, you know, that's very impressive, especially given this sort of backdrop. You know, I bet, you know, unfortunately, there's probably a relatively small number of young black founders who have raised this sort of funding. So on the representation side, what does that mean to you? And do you see yourself either as a role model or do you, do you try to help out other founders going through a similar journey with the odds somewhat stacked against them? Yeah. I mean, the odds are certainly stacked against us and you could just look at the numbers. Mm -hmm. And I think like, you know, black founders have something extra to prove or need to prove something extra on top of like, just the numbers being against us. Like mm -hmm. I had to basically build something from nothing to prove that like, there is a market for this where I almost would guarantee there's somebody out there that didn't look exactly like me who could have raised just off the idea alone. Mm -hmm. I had to go into a bar every single night and host a video game tournament and get all this like qualitative and quantitative feedback and mm -hmm. proof and evidence to be able to raise this idea that's clearly now a, you know, over a hundred million dollar idea. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just, it just comes as the unfortunate truth and comes with the territory, like more often than not, like you're gonna have to bring something to the table already. And I do think like places like Y Combinator do a great job of like trying to like rule that out and mm -hmm. not have that be like a requirement for 
for for for black founders uh, not specifically black founder but just like not that not consider that right. at all there's so many companies that i saw go through yc who just came through an idea mm-hmm. and so i think yc does a great job of just investing in the person versus like the expectation so in terms of like you know being a role model and mentor absolutely like my door is always open mm-hmm. i always make myself available for anybody who wants to reach out pick my brain like guidance etc definitely want to pay it forward a lot of people have for me and uh, hopefully if i can like have enough money i hope to be like you know some of the first checks into you know some black led companies i have been fortunate to like receive investment from you know black people who have their own funds mm-hmm. who like made it their interest to be one of the first big checks you know kai bond from he was yeah. at comcast when comcast invested in players lounge but like i'll never forget he saw that uh, Players Lounge got in a Y Combinator. He was, I never met him before, mm-hmm. but uh, he also went to Wesleyan, by the way. We, we keep <laughs> it real close, <laughs> keep it tight. And he told me like, look, when you're, when you're done with Demo Day or like when you're ready to actually raise after YC, like come to me and I'm gonna write you your first check at a Comcast. And he did, he was mm-hmm. 100% true to his word. He wrote the first check and the biggest check at that time. And so, you know, I want to like be that person one day, whether I like have my own funds and, and stuff like that. So that's what I want to grow into. In terms of advice, I would say first and foremost, like be confident and be exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, be smart about it, but don't conform and sacrifice your character to raise money. Mm-hmm. You'll find someone if your idea is good enough, if you're believe in yourself and you and you can sell well enough and like you know, you do what you're supposed to be doing, like you can raise money without having to like, feel like you're, you know, trying to conform to something, mm-hmm. into something you're not. Like, I've never liked wearing button ups. It made <laughs> me feel like I was working for someone, like mm-hmm. someone was telling me what to do. And, and like, I'm like, I'm not gonna wear one to a meeting, a fundraising meeting. Like that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't need to change who I am because I'm asking them to invest in who exactly who I am. So I'm not going to be wearing a button up when I'm sitting at my desk working. <laughs> the button up is representative of like, you know, the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's just generally a pressure to like, quote unquote, button yourself up. Yeah, yeah. When you get in a room of like, you know, white men that you don't know asking for money. That's like not something that black people do every day. But if you want to start your own company, you're going to have to do that. You know? There's black funds, there's white funds. You're going to have to get comfortable pitching in front of everybody and and, and asking for money. And so I think the key is just to be confident. Know your business in and out. Know that you're going to be the one to do it. Because if you don't exude that energy, you're not going to get money from anyone, Mm -hmm. let alone, you know, maybe a, a group of like a white fund that, you know, is already writing you off to begin with, Mm -hmm. potentially. You know, I'm not trying to put everyone in the same bucket, yeah, but like, like there have been times where I went to a room with Zach and immediately they looked at him and started and started talking to him and said, oh, yeah. so you're a CEO. And didn't even think twice, didn't even look at the deck or whatever, just mm-hmm. assumed that he was a CEO. Walked out of that meeting. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's very powerful. I think you gave great advice too. You know, the button up thing, I was laughing a lot, but I actually, you know, I started out my career in investment management, which is like a pretty like button up field. <laughs> and one of the things actually that like I really enjoy about having switched to venture and now on the startup side is that I never have to wear a button up shirt. So, you know, like I, I'll joke with friends. I'll be like, yeah, I hope to like never wear, you know, a suit again, unless like, you know, I'm going to like a wedding or something like that. So, you know, even these like smaller things that are, are symbolic actually can be impactful. Right. So I think it's great advice, you know, sort of, uh, be authentic, but also, also be smart. But yeah, just wanted to, you know, sort of, sort of wrap things up. And as a concluding question going forward, what all do you want to accomplish with the players now? You know, we've talked a little bit about like sort of the mission and some things that are important to you, but what do you want your impact to be? And what do you want to accomplish either personally or professionally? I want Players Lounge to 
become a staple in gaming forever. Like Twitch has, like FanDuel has for fantasy and, and sports wagering. I want it to be something that every gamer knows about. Most gamers use. I want Players Lounge to be a brand that transcends gaming, that has like a cultural impact in gaming as well, a brand that builds a legacy. And most importantly, I want it to continue to evolve. Like we've already evolved from in-person events to head-to-head -head wagers to, you know, casual passive wagering against the house. Eventually we want to have offerings that you don't even need to wager mm -hmm. on. So that will allow us to expand anywhere in the world and every, in all ages, you know, that's on the horizon for us. Mm -hmm. We want to be something that every gamer uses. If you don't use Players Lounge, you're leaving something on the table. Mm -hmm. That's what I want Players Lounge to become. Personally, I just want to continue doing stuff that I love. Like I love building businesses. I love building an idea that I, that I would use, a product that I would use, something that I like find dear in my life and something I'm passionate about. So I've been very, very fortunate to like build a business around that with Players Lounge and you know, I want to continue to see where that takes me. Awesome. Well, I will definitely be following your journey and, and rooting for you. But yeah, I, I thought this was a great conversation. Just want to say thanks for taking the time. Yes, uh, of course. It's always good to see you. Always good to catch up. And uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Sounds good.